power of visitation. Hear the Spirit call. Welcome to another podcast of Dr. Leslie Bakupon. Be blessed as you listen. Just close your eyes, begin to give God some worship. Bless His holy name, lift His name up on high. Just exalt His name, just bless His holy name. Just bless His name, lift up your voice wherever you are. Thank Him for today. Thank Him. Let's lift up your voice and give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. In heaven and on earth, there is none like unto Him. We lift you up tonight, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We give you glory. We give you praise. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you for tonight. Thank you for an opportunity to share in your precious word. We pray for open heavens. We pray that our hearts will be made ready to receive the engrafted word of God. We take authority in the realm of the spirit over every machination of the enemy against this gathering. We declare the hearts and the minds of the people of God sanctified and made ready for them to have an encounter with their father through the word this evening. Take glory, Father. Take glory, Son. Take glory, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' most excellent name, have we prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's always good to come your way on Wednesday nights with the teaching of the word of God. Amen. Oh, amen. So tonight, I'm going to teach you on a subject I believe is very important. It may not be one of those topics that you shout amen and I receive it, but receive it with a a mind to learn. Hallelujah. Yeah, because... Um, tonight I'm going to talk about the integrity of the Bible the integrity of the Bible I want to give you a reason to believe that what we call the word of God is true and that we can trust it hallelujah and somebody will ask why do you choose such a topic now the word of God is under attack in our day a lot of efforts are being made to attempt to cast doubts in the minds of people about the authenticity of the word of God. I mean, you go on social media and there are a lot of arguments being propounded by atheists and people who believe they are very wise and, you know, their minds are open and they are saying all sorts of things just to cast doubts on the integrity of the word of God. But today, I want to assure you that the word of God is true. Hallelujah. The Bible is authentic and it is the sure word of God. Amen. And well, I'm going to approach this with certain points. It's more like I'm going to try to make a case for the Bible, for the fact that the Bible is the authentic word of God. I believe at certain points in time in your walk with God, you may have been confronted with certain, maybe maybe even before two seconds. What if the Bible is really a figment of somebody's imagination 
what if it's not really the, the the word of god what if what we think the bible is, is is not what it is i believe every believer has had to contend with this question before every believer has had to ask this question before but today i want to settle that argument in your mind once and for all so that when you are reading the bible you read it with confidence and you know that this is indeed the word of god hallelujah the attempts to try to cast doubts on what god has said didn't start today in fact the very first time we see satan in the bible that is in genesis chapter the first time we hear him speak in the bible is genesis chapter 3 when he approached eve in the garden of eden when he went to eve he didn't even greet the first thing he said was did god really say now this is our adversary we are battling against this is somebody who is working against us working against the children of god the first time we hear his voice he is trying to put questions or doubts in somebody's mind about what god has said about the word of god that means it was part of his agenda from day one hallelujah and it has been like that throughout the ages we we, we have had situations in history times when i mean groups are formed there's there's one such group in history called the alexandrian cult later you can go and read about them they had a certain creed and there were certain things they said in the creed one of the things they said was that no book can claim to be totally authoritative because all of those books were written by human beings and they are subject to error you see if the devil succeeds in putting doubts in the minds of human beings as to the authenticity of the word of god he achieves a lot (laughs) hallelujah because everything we believe is based on the word of god our view of who god is is based on the word of god our view of who we are as human beings is even based on the word of god and so it's a a very important strategic point for him to try and put doubts in the minds of people where the authenticity of the word of god is concerned let's read second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Some of the scriptures you have to write them down and go and read later. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. The Bible says all scripture and the emphasis is on the word all. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And as I said, the key word is all scripture. Hallelujah. Some people try to make us believe certain parts of the word are not important. Um, some, some people even, even make it look like the Old Testament is not important. It's all about the New Testament. But the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. When we say inspired by God, there are other translations that use the word all scripture is God breathed. It was inspired by God. It, 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 it was God who, who caused men to have revelations. Now, when we say inspired by God, it means it came to those people through the power of revelation. It's not like somebody just sat somewhere and had an idea and put it down like a poem or a song or something like that. It was actually inspired by God. And when we say inspired by God, let me give you an example. 
I've talked about Genesis. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses was nowhere near there. He hadn't been born. Moses was born thousands of years after that incident. How did he get all those details of how the world was created? Adam didn't tell him because Adam was also not there when the world was being created. Hallelujah. It must have been a revelation from God. God either opened his eyes to see or God came to stand face to face with him and spoke the words to him and told him to write them down. There's no way he could have known. It must have been God himself showing him. Hallelujah. And one of the things that gives us an assurance that this thing called the Bible is not an accident. It's, it's actually a well put together thing by God. Is the fact that this book, and I describe the Bible more as a library than a book. Because it's made up of 66 books. Hallelujah. A library is a collection of books. So, literally speaking, the Bible is a library. And these 66 books were put together by 40 people from diverse cultures, diverse backgrounds, diverse professional backgrounds, and it spanned a period of 1,500 years, 1,500 years, to put all these 66 books together by 40 different people. People from diverse backgrounds, people of different, um, what do you call it, educational backgrounds. Some were stack illiterates, some were prophets, some were singers, some were, you know, different diverse groups of people. 40 of them over a period of 1,500 years. Over a period of 1,500 years, cultures would have changed, ideas would have changed, all sorts of things would have happened. If we should go back 1,500 years from now, then um, we are talking about what? Maybe 500, AD 500. And you can imagine, I mean, for one book to span all that period, yet it all comes together beautifully with one person at the center of it all which is jesus christ and everything just channels straight into him like that it couldn't be an accident it was a work of divine orchestration hallelujah even if you should let 10 people write 10 different things over a period of 10 years it will be difficult for all of it to come into sync so nicely you can take the bible and from anywhere you can preach jesus christ the Ethiopian eunuch that uh, Philip met, he took from the Old Testament and was able to preach it back to Jesus. Any portion of the scripture, Jesus Christ himself said that the scriptures reveal him. Hallelujah. It couldn't have been an accident that 40 different people, diverse backgrounds, over a period of 1,500 years, can put manuscripts together and everything just joins together like a very nice jigsaw puzzle. There are times they take the scriptures and take one from here and one from here. And the way they tie in so nicely, you wonder, ah, these people, did they sit down and confer that, okay, Charlie, make a right arm so, make a right arm so, and everything comes together. They didn't know each other. They were people who lived in different centuries, but everything came together. Why? Because it was under the inspiration of one author, which is the Holy Spirit himself. Hallelujah. We have every cause to believe the Bible. Amen. We have every cause to believe the Bible. So many attempts have been made in the past to place doubts 
Let me tell you reasons why God will not allow his word to be corrupted. You see, when we say corrupted, if there are differences in maybe some one letter somewhere or, or something and it doesn't really, it doesn't affect the central dogmatic truths of our faith, for me, I don't have a problem with it. Hallelujah. If somebody says in one part of the Bible, they say well, Josiah was eight years old when he ascended the throne. Another person says 18 years. It doesn't change anything for me. One adding to the eight, it doesn't really change much. But if you tamper with John 3, 16, then I have a problem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. These things are central to our faith and are dogmatic to our faith. They are enshrined. They cannot be changed. Nothing. And God will not allow those things to be tampered with. Hallelujah. If there's one letter somewhere that changes, fine. I mean, human error <laughs> in transcription. Amen. Yeah, God will not allow that to happen to his word. The moment he allows his word to be tempered with, that day, judgment will be suspended. There will be no judgment. Like the judgment day will be suspended from that day. Why? Because we will all be judged according to the word. Believers, unbelievers alike will be judged according to the word. The believers facing the great white throne judgment will be judged according to the word. Those of us that are going to um, the judgment seat of Christ, which will be a judgment of accountability and not a judgment of condemnation, will all be judged by the standard of the word of God. Any court has a standard. The courts in Ghana have their standard as the constitution of the Republic of Ghana. And that judgment has a standard. It is the word of God. If God allows it to be altered, if God allows it to be tampered with, judgment day will be suspended. You can walk and know that, honestly, that God doesn't have any basis to judge me. Hallelujah. And so, we must be rest assured that this thing, God is not going to sit down and allow it to be tempered with to the point where it loses certain important facts. Amen. Now, let me give you some reasons why you can trust the Bible. I'll give you reasons why you can believe in the Bible. The first one is its prophetic accuracy. Its prophetic accuracy. You know, I was listening to one man and he was saying, you know, when people learn too much, it becomes a problem. Too much learning. Paul talks about too much learning. <laughs> too much, like when people learn too much, it, it becomes a problem. He said, he thinks all these people we call prophets in the Bible, Old Testament prophets and things, they were all people who had mental problems. And he said specifically, he believes they, they had schizophrenia. Some of the symptoms of schizophrenia are visual hallucinations. You, you see things. Auditory hallucinations. You hear things. So all these things, they said they saw visions. Uh, they said they heard the voice of God. He says some of them, um, what do you call it, grandiose delusions. They say God is speaking to them. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all part of the symptoms of the schizophrenia. And he mentioned the fact that most of them had persecutory delusions. They all felt people were against them. That people were chasing them and people wanted them dead and blah, 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 from Elijah to all of them. They had persecutory, which are actual... <laughs> actual um, symptoms of schizophrenia. So he was making a point. 
but what makes all of this fall on his face is that the things they prophesied came to pass the prophetic accuracy yes we see people who have psychiatric problems who say all sorts of things but none of their things they say comes to pass but the things these people talked about came to pass look i read a certain uh, article about probabilities and odds they said the odds that eight prophecies about the same person will come to pass is one in a trillion that eight predictions those of you who do soccer bets it's about prediction if it was that simple you'll be winning money every day you'll be a rich man by now but you don't get it right because predicting things is not easy like that hallelujah with those things you are supposed to be able to predict who will win um, the more difficult the prediction is the more money you make the score line who will score if you have been able to tell which half they will score which minute they will score and all of that because the odds for those fine details are are higher the probability of having eight prophecies fulfilled about a person one person they say is one in a trillion but jesus christ alone there were 354 prophecies about him and more than 90 percent of them have come to pass because there are some of the prophecies about him that will come later in life things to do with the rapture and all of that the fact that he was going to be born by a virgin what was the probability that that will happen it's like you doing soccer bet and you saying that Tottenham Hotspur against Manchester United should say Mourinho will score a goal when he's not part of the players and he's sitting on the bench for him to score a goal for it, for it even to be accepted as a goal how can a coach move from the bench and go ahead the ball into the net that is that is what it meant for somebody to say a virgin will conceive and have a child but it defied all the odds and it came to pass hallelujah look this thing called the bible it is sharp it is accurate don't let anybody deceive you into believing this thing has been corrupted and it's not the true word of god hallelujah the prophetic accuracy even jesus alone 354 and more than 90 percent of them have come to pass if eight the odds is one in a billion. Calculate what the odds are for even 300 prophecies to be fulfilled about one person. And you see, what makes it even more spectacular is that they were given at different points in time. Some centuries apart and all of that, but all of them came together nicely. And we have evidence of it. The evidence of Jesus Christ is not only in the scriptures. It's not only in the Bible. There are non-religious accounts of Jesus and the miracles he did non-religious accounts of the fact that he was seen again after he died and, and stuff like that it's not like the Bible is just writing something you see people try to put doubts in people's minds by saying one time I, I, I saw a documentary and they were saying there's actually a gospel according to Judas and that that's what really gives the true image of Jesus Christ and that Jesus wasn't God and that Judas was the one who really gave the proper account Trust me, if you put John here and you put Judas here, I will believe John today. I will believe John tomorrow. I will not believe Judas. A betrayer and a money lover. I will not believe him. Hallelujah. Even if he had something written down, me, I would <laughs> I will put it aside. But they said there's a gospel according to Judas. And that when you read that gospel, 
it shows that Jesus was not God, but the others sort of they gave some very nice story around it, like you know, they were bootlickers and then 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 try to create a certain image of Jesus Christ. When you read the a lot of the people who wrote the Bible, they wrote things about themselves. And you could see the honesty in it. Because some of them actually wrote things about themselves that were not complimentary. If it were me, there are certain things I don't write. I mean, David, that's a, if, if, if I were him, there are some things I don't even agree to me, a clean heart business, uh, you're going to mess up with somebody's wife and blah, blah. I will edit all of those things out. But that is evidence that he is not the author. There, there was a bigger hand somewhere that was moving him to write the things that he was writing. Hallelujah. Look at the disciples. Jesus' disciples, there were a lot of times they messed up. Like they did all sorts of things. I mean, how can you go and be telling Jesus that uh, one of us should sit on your right hand? I mean, these are things you do behind the scenes. <laughs> but for you to put it down and write it down like that, it's a lot of integrity. Hallelujah. These were people who could have edited the thing to make them look glorious throughout the scriptures. There was a time even in the Bible, I mean, you could see the human frailties in some of them. Peter and, and Paul, they had a, a, a grudge and Paul said he withstood Peter in the face. I mean, Peter was doing something he thought was not right. In fact, he thought it was hypocritical. Mm-hmm. He was displaying hypocrisy. And he said, I withstood him straight to the face. They wrote these things with a clear heart, clear conscience. They would have edited all of these things out to make themselves look good. But they were not the authors. It was the Spirit of God that was writing it for our edification, for our instruction, and for us to know how to live in life. Hallelujah. Now, when it comes to the integrity of the scriptures, if you look at how and that's my second one the first one is the prophetic accuracy the second one is the amount of energy time and planning that was put into preserving the scriptures what we have now has gone through a lot but has maintained this integrity hallelujah so when Lindy Shazo is singing I said ancient word ever true changing me changing you it's a words of life words of hope and then there's a line it says preserved for our work preserved that's the key word preserved the word they were preserved because the attempts were coming from left right center to attempt to corrupt this thing and even to obliterate it the original scriptures were written what we call manuscripts manuscripts if you want to break the word down it is manual script they were written by hand because there was no typewriter then there was no laptop then there was no printing press then so if you were going to write a book you would manually write it with your hands so the originals are actually called manuscripts if you wanted to reproduce it you have to write with your hand because it wasn't until 15 something that the printing press was um, invented you had to write with your hand and that is why some people are saying it couldn't have been that accurate but you see god is too smart there's a reason why the old testament was written in hebrew and aramaic and the new testament was written in greek he needed a certain aspect of the jews which was their ability to write things down accurately it was a certain culture of theirs the jews had scribes the scribes were like what you call the typists of today 
people who put down things. And those days, there was no typewriter, so you have to write it by hand. And they had an elite group of scribes. They called them the Masoretes, an elite group of scribes. And they were so accurate with their transcription that when they finished writing a manuscript, they will count the number of letters in it and note the middle letter and then count back again and make sure the middle point falls on the middle letter again to show that they didn't even miss one letter. <laughs> These were the people who transcribed the Bible. And God intentionally made sure the Old Testament was in the hands of such people because of that culture of accuracy with preserving written manuscripts. Hallelujah. Some people did some research on manuscripts of ancient people. So they took manuscripts of Plato. We read a lot about Plato in history. The number of original manuscripts we have of Plato are just 70 in the whole world, like original manuscripts that were written, things written by Plato, just 70 of them. The Caesar that was in power in Jesus' time is just about seven or so. Other important people in history, very, very few. But the New Testament alone, the number of manuscripts that have been retrieved, original handwritten manuscripts that have been retrieved of the New Testament is 24,000. The next highest writing with with the highest number of manuscripts that have been retrieved was a poem written by Homer. It's called the Iliad, 644. Compare 24,000 to 644. It should tell you that this thing we are dealing with is a highly accurate thing. And when they compared the reproducibility in all of those ones, the accuracy level was 99.5%. The 0.5% was just some letter that has been missed somewhere or some comma that has been missed somewhere or something. Nothing significant. This thing called the word of God is true and it was inspired by God himself and preserved by God himself. Hallelujah. So a lot of effort went into preserving it. Some people died because of that. Later when the printing press was invented in the 1500s, there was a man called William Tyndale he took it upon himself to reproduce more of the scriptures and he paid with his life he was sentenced to death for reproducing the bible in those days the the forces that fought the reproduction of the bible were not only outside the church they were forces within within the church itself that also fought it they felt it should be in the hands of just the clergy or a certain elite but thank god now we have bibles on our phones we have bibles on our laptops we have bibles on our anywhere you want to have a bible and we thank god for this preservation hallelujah but interestingly we rather don't read we rather don't read because those days a whole continent could just have one or two manuscripts an entire continent one or two manuscripts but we have it and we are joking with this thing called the word of god so the first point the prophetic accuracy second the level of detail and the effort that was put into preserving it. The third point is the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Scientific accuracy. It's not only prophetically accurate, it's also scientifically accurate. Why am I saying the scientifically accurate? It's scientifically accurate because there are certain things written in the Bible 
as at the time those things were being written there was no way those who wrote it could humanly have that kind of scientific knowledge it was later that human beings discovered as somebody said discovery is uncovering what god did when you say you have discovered something something god did a long time ago you uncover it and that is discovery during those times there was no way those people could have had that kind of scientific knowledge but they wrote about those things and they proved scientific accuracy let me give you some examples there were a lot of theories in those days about the shape of the earth nobody had invented the spacecraft nobody had invented the telescope or anything for anybody to be able to see what a planet looks like and all of that but job wrote something those days they believed there was a giant turtle somewhere and it's like we're all on the back so the floor is like the shell of the turtle and we are all they believe the earth was flat and all because of course when you look you see flat like that is going and things like that some people actually believe there were some giant ropes that were holding the earth in the universe like all sorts of you know postulations but job made a certain statement to show that the earth was actually floating in the air let's read job chapter 26 verse 7 job 26 verse 7 he didn't have a telescope he didn't have uh what do you call it a rocket to go into space he said he stretched out the north over the empty place and hungered the earth upon nothing by divine inspiration he knew that the earth wasn't hanging on anything it was just a floating thing in the atmosphere it's later that we knew gravitational forces and blah 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 can keep something floating in the in the hair yeah centripetal and centrifugal forces and things job didn't know any of these things but the power of the holy ghost revealed to him that the earth hanged upon nothing hallelujah and the fact that the earth is round they believe it was flat there was a tortoise somewhere we we're all walking on the back of the tortoise blah 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 but Isaiah says something that pointed to that fact. Isaiah 40, 22. Isaiah 40, 22. He said, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Upon the circle of the earth. He had an idea that the earth was wrong. It was later that Aristotle used the eclipse to postulate that, no, probably the earth was round. Because he looked at the shadow the earth cast on the moon. And it was circular in nature. And said, then it's likely the earth is not flat like we thought it was. And later Christopher Columbus proved the round nature of the earth by going around the world. He sailed in one direction. He said, if the earth is really round like that, when you sail in one direction, eventually you come back to the same place. And it happened. And he proved that the earth was round. Before we had rockets and we went into space and we saw, ah, so this thing is actually a giant ball like that. But these people, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, knew these things. Hallelujah. There's a certain statement the Bible makes in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which is very medically relevant. The Bible makes mention of the fact that the life of the body is in the blood. The life of the body is in the blood. Now, when you are you go to hospital, it's your blood that is taking. Because if there's a problem in your kidney, it will show in your blood. If there's a problem with your heart, it will show in your blood. If there's a problem with your brain, it will show in your blood. The life of the body is in the blood. And as recently as the 18th century, they actually believed when you are sick, they must make you lose blood. Bloodletting. 
Yeah. So they'll cut a very prominent artery or prominent vein and bleed you because they believed when the blood goes out, then you become better. A prominent man like the founder of the United States of America, George Washington, he died through excessive bloodletting. He just had a cold. I'm just trying to show you how blind we were to science until recently. I'm talking about 18th century here. They bled him and he lost 40% of his blood volume. And that was what killed him. Small cold. If they had just left him, probably his own immune system would have worked against the virus and he would have survived. But we didn't know anything. Maybe if they had read and they knew that their the, the blood rather gives life, <laughs> they would have left the blood alone. You know, and it was later that we even realized that transfusion saves. When you give blood, it saves lives. It it gives people the countless millions of people whose lives have been saved because blood was given unto them. But Moses said this a long time ago, even though he didn't have any scientific knowledge of it. It must have been the inspiration of God. There are a lot of public health things that were being practiced in the Bible and they didn't know what they were doing it was just inspiration of god when you read leviticus chapter 15 verse 13 you see it was until recently that they discovered that proper hand washing in hospitals or in environments where there is sickness should be with running water and not water in bowls as far as they used to wash your hands in bowls. Yes, the idea of washing hands fine, but they were washing in bowls. But recontamination, recontamination. There was a certain time in Britain, the maternal mortality was as high as 18 to 30%. All because of wrong hand washing methods. They go and see this person come and wash their hands in the same bowl and everything, transmitting infections. And you see, those days, antibiotics weren't very common. So when you get an infection, if your system is not strong, it will overwhelm you and you just die. 18 to 30 percent of women that means one out of three women who go to deliver will not come back all because of hand washing they weren't doing it right but look at what the bible says in Leviticus 15 13 it said and when he had had an issue when you talk about an issue you're talking about a, a discharge somebody who has a sickness of a sort an issue is cleansed of his issue then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and he shall be clean hallelujah god the creator of the earth knew public health policies that would save life a lot of the laws that were given in the book of leviticus were public health laws they may seem strict but there was public health sense behind it amen because you had a group of about a million or more people gathered in one place if you had one disease the likelihood of a lot of people getting it was very high and so god had to bring these rules in there and nobody knew about the gem theory and all of those things in those days it was just pure inspiration of the holy spirit let's read leviticus chapter 13 45 to 46 it shows us that quarantine was there in those times so this thing we are doing now with COVID-19 is not a new thing. He said, the person with such an infectious disease must wear clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. He was talking about leprosy here. Now we know by the germ theory that leprosy is caused by mycobacterium leprae and it is spread by droplet infection. Droplets. 
when you sneeze, droplets from your mouth and nose, etc. And they're talking about somebody who is infected with leprosy. He said, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. It's a way of identifying you because it's infectious. But look at what he said. And must cover the lower part of his face. That sounds like a face mask to me. Yeah, N95. There's no way they could have scientifically known that one, germs were responsible for the disease and two, it was spread through droplet infection. This was pure inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Pure inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The fact that people were asked to circumcise their children on the eighth day in the scriptures, there's a lot of science behind it. They couldn't have known but the truth is that, you see, when a baby is born, the baby doesn't have vitamin K. That is why now we inject the baby with vitamin K. Those days, they didn't have commercially prepared vitamin K. But the level of vitamin K, vitamin K is needed for blood clotting. Prothrombin is needed for blood clotting. The truth is that it is on the eighth day after you are born that all of these clotting factors are at their peak. Not a day before, not a day after. So if you are to survive circumcision and not bleed to death, the best day will be the eighth day. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this was an instruction God gave them. It was until recently that some people did some research and found amazingly that the levels of all of these things are at their highest on day eight. It wasn't a coincidence that God said in the word that circumcise your children on day eight. Now we inject children with vitamin K, on the first day they are born and stuff like that so you can <laughs> go beyond or even do it earlier and stuff like that because we have new ways of dealing with it but those days they didn't but god in his infinite wisdom gave them those instructions amen when it comes to um, oceanography traveling by sea human beings never knew until a few years ago that there were what we call ocean currents. There were channels under the sea. Currents, channels under the sea. That, and if you knew how those channels went, when you are traveling by ship, you avoid them and you'll be able to get to your destination earlier because those channels sort of worked against the movement of the ship. We didn't know there was anything like that. And then there was one man, they call him the father of oceanography. It's called Matthew Murray. He read in the scriptures, he read Psalm 8, verse 8. Let's see what Psalm 8, verse 8 says. He read Psalm 8, verse 8. It said, The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. Another version says, The channels of the seas. He said, Ah, are they trying to say there are channels within the sea? He went and researched and actually found out. So now we have those who study oceanography, they have what we call Morris channels and it's it's something that has been documented and when people are navigating the seas they take note of those channels and try to avoid them but the scriptures have talked about it already a lot of people thought the only sources of water for the sea was rainwater and then rivers running into them but Job talked about the fact that there were springs under the ocean it was recently that they found out when now we could devise anti-pressure diving suits there's no way Job could have gone under the sea at that time. What was he going? Where, where's the oxygen tank? 
how is it going to breathe <laughs> but now we have oxygen tanks we have diving suits that can withstand because the pressure under the sea is crazy if you don't have the correct what do you call it your eardrums will be in fact your head can even explode <laughs> being under the sea at that at that level but job talked about the fact that there were springs so there are springs that gush from under the sea that feed the sea so it's not just rainwater and it's not just um, uh, rivers that feed the sea but they knew all of these things when it comes to shipping engineering genesis chapter 6 verse 15 the dimensions of the ark noah's ark the shipping engineers will tell you that i mean it was accurate there are certain proportions of dimensions you need for the ship to be able to float because you are using metals and things to make a ship you are using um materials that are more dense than water that means it's supposed to sink but you can have metal ships that float on the sea you have to get the dimensions and the proportions right and in actual fact these proportions genesis chapter 5 verse 16 he said and it is in this fashion which thou shalt make it the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits the breadth of it 50 cubits and the height 30 cubits what you need for the ship to float is that the ratio between the length and the what do you call it the breadth or the width has to be what it is there the 300 to 50 if you break it down to the lowest term what is it it will be one is to six one is to six that is the ratio that they use up till now no one ever attended engineering school this was a direct instruction given to him by god and it was accurate and was able to keep the animals afloat the bible is true hallelujah and then there are more but you let me just give you one more people talk about dinosaurs dinosaurs that the, the bible cannot account for dinosaurs and and things like that what do we know about dinosaurs i mean there's facts we've seen fossils we've seen they've seen whole skeletons of dinosaurs and we know they did exist all right what do we know about dinosaurs we know they were herbivores they used to eat plants we know they were huge animals with a huge lower part with very huge tails all right and then we also know they are extinct these are a few things we know about dinosaurs let's read what job said job chapter 40 yeah this job guy <laughs> he seems to have known a lot what suffering can do <laughs> job chapter 40 let's read from verse 15 <laughs> to 19 he said behold now behemoth this is a creature that has been described here behemoth it's even been adopted into english language when the word behemoth is used it means something that is very huge a behemoth he said behold now behemoth which i made with thee he eated grass as an ox a, a herbivore right you eat plants verse 16 he said lo now his strength is in his loins bigger lower part you've seen pictures of a dinosaur before the lower part is so huge it's in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly verse 17 he moved his tail like a cedar the cedar is a very huge 
huge tree with a huge trunk. You've seen dinosaur tails before in the pictures. Very, very big like that. You know, the skeptics said this thing can be a hippopotamus. But the tail just... Have you seen a hippopotamus tail before? It's the shortest tail you can get. It cannot be... A hippopotamus tail cannot be as a cedar. It's not a hippopotamus. He said he moved his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones and wrapped together. Verse 18. He said his bones are strong pieces of brass. You Google um, dinosaur skeleton pictures on Google images. You see they are like brass, like huge, like, like brass bars. And his bones like bars of iron. Some of them, you can even imprison somebody inside because they are huge like that. And then the verse 19, look at what he says in the verse 19. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. I'm talking about the extension now. All the things we know about the dinosaur have been described clearly in this animal the Bible is referring to as the behemoth. I can go on and on and on and give you about 30 scientific things that prove that the word of God is true. And for the sake of time, I'll end here. But for me, the last point that proves that the word of God is true is what the bible says about itself for me that is the most important what the bible says about itself it says the word of god is alive it's not just words it is alive it has life it can give life it can cause dead things to rise again it said the word of god is active it said the word of god is sharp not just like any sword but a two-edged sword that means it cuts in different planes it can cut in the financial plane it can cut in the ministry plane it can cut in the career plane it can cut in whatever plane you can think about that is the word of god the bible validates itself the things that have been said in it it said in my name you shall cast out devils we have seen devils being cast out in the name of jesus it said you shall heal the sick we have seen the sick being healed in the name of Jesus. He said, in my name, those who believe, they shall speak with new tongues. We've seen people speak with new tongues. The Bible, the word of God is true. Hallelujah. It says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, my word. That is why you can never entertain the fact that God will sit down and allow this word to be corrupted. Heaven will pass away, earth will pass away, but this thing called the word, it is going to stand forever. To show you how powerful and how important the word is. Even God has literally placed himself under the word. He says, for I have exalted my word above my own name. This is what we are talking about here. The word of God is spirit. It's not just a book that has been bound in leather for you to read. It is spirit. It has life. You can take a portion of scripture that speaks about a certain situation in your life and just by meditating on that word, you have deliverance, you will see results. I've seen people whose besetting sins have been broken just because they saw a scripture and meditated upon it. And the Bible says the word of God is, as, is fire. It doesn't mean when you put a pot of water on your Bible, it will boil. It is not a literal fire. It talks about its cleansing power. It talks about the fact that it can consume the things that need to be consumed. The chaff that are in our life. Hallelujah. The two-edged sword doesn't mean you can cut tomatoes with it. If you try to use your Bible to cut tomatoes, it will never cut. Amen. 
The word of God is spirit that you must receive into your life. And my prayer for you today is that every doubt in your mind concerning the word of God will be taken away today in the name of Jesus. Believe in the word of God. Meditate upon the word of God. It is not enough to just read it and, and memorize it. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That means it is good. Keep it in your head. Rattle it. Quote it. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, but meditating upon it day and night. Because it is in the meditation of the word of God that the active part of it, the powerful part of the word is brought out. I pray that Lord, give your people a sense of urgency where the word of God is concerned. Let a hunger for the word be created like never before. Those days of reading the word of God once a month. Those days of reading the word of God only when you are free. Those days of reading the word of God only when you are in trouble. May those days be over in your life in the name of Jesus. The word of God must be a daily essential vitamin that you need in your life. I pray for an addiction to the word of God in your life from today in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you you, you bless people with, with the rema of the word. Uh, revelations concerning situations they are going through right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, speak to somebody during their quiet time tomorrow. Let somebody whose heart is troubled receive comfort in the name of Jesus. Let somebody who is confused in life, somebody who is walking in darkness, receive light by the word as they read it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let somebody's ears stumble upon a word, a preaching, and, and let it transform that person's life in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And today I stand on the authority of the word of God and I command the turn around in situations that are militating against you in your life in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Bible says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let the spirit of possibility begin to manifest in your life from tonight in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It doesn't matter what hurdle is in front of you. It doesn't matter what obstacle is in front of you. It doesn't matter what mountain is in front of you. The word of the Lord says with God, all things are possible. Let it be possible, Lord. Let it be possible, Lord. Let it be possible, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God. And the last scripture that I like where the word is concerned is that the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Today we declare every word that God has spoken in your life settled in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the living God. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless us all. Amen. blessed by this message. For more information, reach us on 024-873-7250 or on our Facebook page, The Overflow Worship Center. Stay blessed. Overflow! 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 Overflow!